Hello and welcome back to Frank Fryer Fridays. This is Father Patrick Bykauskas broadcasting from St. Dominic Priory in St. Louis, Missouri. Thank you for being with me today. Let us begin with this prayer. Almighty God, you are the only source of health and healing. In you there is calm and the only true peace in the universe. Grant to each one of us, your children, an awareness of your presence and give us perfect confidence in you. In all pain and weariness and anxiety, teach us to yield ourselves to your never-failing care, knowing that your love and power surround us, trusting in your wisdom and providence to give us health and strength and peace when your time is best. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. I gave a little bit of a teaser when I announced or, or posted my last podcast that I was going to talk a little bit about the election. Someone asked why I hadn't done that in the last podcast, and I didn't because <laughs> there was just so much uncertainty. And I'll, I'll admit that I was a little frustrated last week. I posted on my Facebook that just a little message asking for healing and I asked for healing again in this prayer as we began today and I thought it was the most innocuous of statements to make and yet people asked well healing from what and it was clear that they felt that there was uh, not really a need it it just it just frankly kind of astounded me we, of course we need healing. We always need healing. We're in constant need of healing. And maybe as a nation, most especially now, I participate in the Sacrament of Reconciliation often as a confessor. And one of the things that I mention to people in a good way is that, thanks be to God, they've come to the spirit of to the sacrament of reconciliation, the spirit of recognizing that they've fallen short of doing what it is that God calls them to do. And that's the first step. And golly, that's a huge step. It's an important step because if we don't recognize that we need forgiveness, then we're going to continue on a path that isn't going to bring us into compliance or into into agreement with what God desires for us most. And that is our peace. God wants us to be at peace. He wants us to trust in him, to know that what we need is going to come from him, not from things of this earth. So I'm going to talk about some political things. And there's people that think priests should not be political. Well, there's absolutely nothing in our Catholic teaching or tradition that supports that kind of sentiment. I remember Bishop Doherty talking about that a couple years ago in a column for those of you who don't know, he was my bishop in Lafayette, Indiana, and still is the, the ordinary there. And he wrote a column about that, about how we need, priests need to be political when we understand that term correctly. And it means, and I'm going to be reading from a definition, political means relating to the government or the public affairs of a country. Well, goodness, is anyone going to suggest that the church or its priests should not speak out on injustices or policies that promote injustice? I hope not. You know, I was reminded not so long ago of, it was by one of my Dominican brothers, of something St. Thomas Aquinas wrote. And again, I'm going to be quoting. This is the great St. Thomas Aquinas. 
He who is not angry when there is just cause for anger is immoral. Why? Because anger looks to the good of justice. And if you can live amid injustice without anger, you are immoral as well as unjust. And that's the end of the quote. Well, maybe in a way, I kind of feel indicted. I haven't followed the admonition of St. Thomas. We are often, I think, lulled into thinking that we are required to, to support candidates who are anathema to practically everything else that we stand for because that candidate purports to be pro-life because that candidate, he or she, is opposed to abortion. Many people who call themselves pro-life think all they need to do to capture the Catholic vote is to say they are pro-life and then go forward enacting all sorts of foul and egregious legislation that fails to demonstrate one iota of respect for the lives of the marginalized and the vulnerable. That is not what the Catholic Church holds to. You know, the, numbers, uh, the number of abortions in this country, according to the the Center for Disease Control and Prevention, usually called the CDC, declined every year between 2008 and 2016. Every year. In 2014, the, the, the number of abortions dropped to their lowest level in nearly 30 years. Well, how can that be? Because those of us who proudly proclaim that we are pro-life know that there are other ways to decrease the number of abortions policies that do not rely on outlawing the practice alone. And that's where we seem to put all of our eggs in that one basket. Let's outlaw it. 75% of the people who seek abortions live in poverty. Well, guess what? When we lift them out of poverty, when, when we provide decent health care, when we move them out of food insecurity, in other words, when we show people compassion, they are in a position when they, don't, when they opt to have the child instead of ending its life. We are not called to be single-issue voters as Catholics. There are other life issues that have to have our attention as well. When the, the, the COVID virus is raging in our country and we are not seeing our federal government step up and take the responsibility that they need to, and it is clearly a federal responsibility. You know, I used to work in Washington, D.C., and I'm going to be talking about that later as we get into the sort of biographical part of my journey here. The Public Health Service is, is if not the oldest, I think it is the oldest government agency in the federal government. Why? It was created to stop epidemics, pandemics from crossing into our borders. Why? Because the states didn't have that capacity. Because disease, as we know now, knows no borders. So the Public Health was, Service was created hundreds of years ago to help in that effort. We're not doing all that we need to do as federal as a federal government, and, and we're not taking the leadership that we need to do in order to combat this. Because as COVID rages, we're not even fully aware of the, the, the problems that are being caused in other life issues. There are 60,000 plus people who are experiencing COVID occupying beds right now in, in U.S. hospitals. So what is, what's happening to those, to those people who need health care? What's happening to people who are suffering from domestic violence and 
addictions, methamphetamine, and other areas. What's happening to people who are experiencing depression and suicide? Those are pro-life issues as well. Those are all things that we need to, to examine and, and look at. We are in a position now where our, our country, unfortunately, has, has, I guess in a way, not come to absolute final resolution on, on this election. We need, to, we need to, to put aside our differences and we need to, to rebuild our, our country. We need to, to recognize that we have imperfect candidates who have been given the, 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 the task of, of rebuilding our country. And it's going to take all of us pulling together. And, and if, we're not, if we're not willing to do that, to seek the common good, which is a very important part of our, 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 our teaching as Catholics, the platforms of our parties are not what we're supposed to be voting on. We need to vote on the integrity of individuals because those platforms are forgotten almost as soon as they're written before the ink dries, as we say sometimes. It's the integrity of the candidates which, which are important because the issues that are addressed in the platform may not be the issues that we're even talking about next year. So if we can't look at a candidate and find the, the, the characteristics that we are seeking, and I hope that we are seeking in individuals, courage, intelligence, honesty, integrity, empathy, humility, those have got to be character issues that we look at when we're voting for a candidate. And so people made those decisions and informing their conscience, as, as Pope Francis told us, uh, uh, the, the Catholic Church is uh, not supposed to replace our conscience, it's supposed to help us form our conscience. And in Fratelli Tutti, the encyclical that he issued just a couple weeks ago, he's, he asks us to be able to enter into dialogue in a sense of charity. So let us do that. Let us hope that we can move forward that we have elected a new leader in this country, that we're going to do everything that we can to support him and support our country and the things that we need to do to get over this uh, or get through these challenges. And it's going to require all of us pulling together and recognizing that we, we cannot continue in the way that we have uh, the last four years. So... God bless you all, and, and uh, I hope that we can, in fact, recognize that there's healing that needs to be done. And if it doesn't begin with each one of us, where will it begin? I left off last time uh, talking about how I ended up in Washington, D.C. I got an opportunity that I jumped at and went there in the summer of 1976 in July. And I was, as I said, preparing to transfer to a different graduate school in Arizona, and I had this opportunity and, and, and took it, and recognized very quickly that Washington, D.C. seemed to be in my future, that I, I enjoyed it immediately. I was, a, I was a different sort of an intern from the other interns that were in my office working for Congressman George O'Brien because I had finished my undergraduate work and, and was seeking some direction in my life. And 
having been a political science major, clearly I had an interest in in that area of our 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 life, and so to be in Washington, and especially in the summer of 1976, the bicentennial year, there's so many things going on every single day. There were things to to participate in. It could be fireworks demonstrations, or it could be all sorts of lectures and other sorts of things that we were doing in the country at that time to, to commemorate the, the 200 years of our, our country. The thing, though, that really fascinated me is that I was so, I say now, blessed to, to come to Washington, D.C., to work in the, in the Congress when there were, there were giants there. The, the things that I would do, when, I, when it was my lunch break, the other interns were all going out and having a nice lunch. I didn't have a lot of money to begin with, so I couldn't do all that sort of stuff, and I didn't want to. I wanted to go hear the debates whenever I could. I'm, these are some of the people that, that I remember when I was just coming to Washington, D.C. This is almost 50 years ago. And these are the Mike Mansfield and, and Bob Bird, you Scott, uh, over in the Senate, uh, were in, in the leadership. Tip O'Neill uh, in the House, along with Bob Michael, who became a, f a friend of mine. Uh, Barry Goldwater, Lowell Weicker, Abe Ribicoff. It, it, from Illinois, Chuck Percy and Avley Stevenson. In Indiana, Vance Hartke and Birch By, Bob Dole, Ed Muskie, Ed Brooke, the first African-American elected to, uh, as a Republican to, to Massachusetts in the Senate. Hubert Humphrey, Walter Mondale, John Danforth, Tom Eagleton, Clifford Case from New Jersey, Pete Domenici, Bob Taft from Ohio, John Glenn too from, from Ohio, John Pastore, Howard Baker, gosh, Frank Moss, Harry Bird, Scoop Jackson, uh, Bill Proxmire from Wisconsin, Gaylord Nelson, I think he was from Wisconsin too. Those, those just some of the Senate, and in the House, Mo Udall. Mo Udall, whenever he spoke, and he, he was sort of stingy about him his speaking on the House, boy, everybody, they would run over to the House floor because they wanted to Republicans and Democrats alike because they would want to hear him speak. Andrew Young was in the House. Henry Hyde from, and John Anderson from Illinois. John Bradamus from uh, Indiana. John Myers from Indiana. I got to know him pretty well. Lee Hamilton, I got to know slightly. Andy Jacobs. Bob Drynan was Father Bob Drynan from Massachusetts. A lot of men, these men became and women became famous because of the Watergate hearings, too. Uh, John Dingle, Millicent Fenwick. Boy, she was a classy act. And uh, Peter Rodino, Ch Shirley Chisholm, a giant. Uh, Bella Abzug. Whether you, whether you, you liked her politics or not, she, boy, she was, she was a real character. She was a great one to listen to. Ed Koch from New York, Hamilton Fish, Jack Kemp, of course, Barbara Jordan, uh, a real a real giant. So I go to Washington, D.C., and these are the people that are speaking. These are the ones that are debating. And I, I suspect that many of you, whether or not you're my age or not, these are names that still resonate. Will we be able to say that 50 years from now when we look at the people that are in the House and the Senate? Are they going to be figures that, that resonate in the same way? So I get to come to Washington, D.C., and I, honestly, I would probably go every day 
during my lunch break, and of course the, the, there wasn't any sort of security restrictions as there are now. I mean, there was security, of course, because there was still, believe it or not, almost 20 years after the, the, the uh, episode that occurred in the 50s when there was Puerto Rican nationalists that came into the House chamber and, and uh, fired down into the, um, the chamber. And so that was about 20 years, less than 20 years after. And so there's still, those sorts of things still resonated. So there, there certainly was security, but still there was, there's nothing like it is now. And you had the, the sort of, as a staffer, you had the run of the, the Capitol building and, and you could uh, go over there when you wanted. And I took every advantage of it. And I just fell in love with the work that I was called to to, uh, or given the opportunity to do. So I was in Washington, D.C., I think maybe all of two weeks, and I started looking for a job because I thought, the heck with working towards an MBA. I didn't want an MBA. I just thought it was something I needed to do in order to get a decent job. And although I was making absolute peanuts, I don't know how I survived on what I was making. I think I was getting $800 a week, or I mean, $800 a week, I wish, $800 a month. And it, you don't and don't say well back then in 1976 that bought a lot of, a lot of things it did not $800 a month didn't buy much then either it certainly wouldn't buy any a decent even a decent living now but i had a very cheap apartment i i, I shared a house with some people i lived uh, ended up living close enough i li i moved to capitol hill i lived at, at on the campus of georgetown university when i first arrived and because I was part of this internship program, but then when my internship ended, then I uh, would have to move. And it ended uh, because I did decide I wanted to stay, and I started looking for a job. And so I didn't tell Congressman O'Brien because I, I, I just didn't have the guts to. I, you know, I, I was one of these people, I didn't want to put him in the spot like I if I wanted a job and what if he said no. So I started, just started looking through the normal the normal way. And I was went over to the Senate side. There was a position opened uh, for, for Senator Mondale. Now, Senator Mondale had not run yet. And so all I knew of him is that he was the, he was the junior senator from, from Minnesota. Hubert Humphrey was the senior senator. And so I applied and, and got an offer to go work for, for Walter Mondale. God knows what would have happened if I had accepted that job. What would have, my career would have, direct, the direction it would have gone in. So anyway, the, the congressman, Mr. O'Brien, found out that I had been offered a job with, with, with uh, Fritz Mondale. And so he calls me into his office in kind of a stern look. And he said, what the heck are you doing going to work for the Democrats? And I said, and of course, I was a Democrat at that time. My mom and my dad were the very the prototypical Roosevelt Democrats. And I had grown up in a, in a very strongly Democratic Union household. And, but I was, I, you know, I, didn't, I don't know if I had for, really formed my own opinions as to party affiliation. I was more inherit, I had more inherited it. But he said, well, I can't, you know, sort of a joking way. I can't, ha I can't have you doing that. And so he said, I want you to work for me. And I was very, very flattered. You know, the thing is, though, that I, want, I wanted to mention as well um, before I close is that it just was a very, very different time than it is now. And when we see and, and, uh, and think about Washington, D.C. and 
1976, and in a good period, good amount of the time that I was there, there was this great sense of civility. There was this great sense of what we need to do, we need to do for the betterment of our country. And yes, there, 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 was, there was partisanship, of course there was. But there was this sense also that we, we needed to come together as Republicans and Democrats and do what was best for the country. And you did not see, and I, I didn't know Tip O'Neill very well at all, but I did get to know Bob Michael, who became the Republican leader after John Rhodes retired. I, I, he and Tip O'Neill would have very strong disagreements about policy and the direction on some of these some of these programs. But boy, when it came down to the end of the day, they recognized that if they didn't get together as as or get to get along. As, as people who were first and foremost Americans who cared about our country, then we were going to be in pretty sorry shape. It wasn't merely about getting elected. It was about doing what needed to be done for the, for the common good. And there was, I mentioned all of those names at the, at, the, at the top of this, hopefully helping us to remember that there was a time in our country when people could come together and I think we can get there now and I hope you all agree it's going to take some some real soul searching on our part to be able to do that but again I think that that it, it's not beyond us we all care about this country and we all I hope love and respect one another at some level that we can recognize that healing has to occur and like that great hymn uh, let there be peace on earth and let it begin with me let it begin with each of us. God bless you all. Thank you for being with me again on Frank Fryer Fridays and see you next week.